All right, brewer friends, welcome to another episode of the Beer District Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler. I'm joined with co-host Josh Wallach. I do some writing for Wisconsin Sports Heroics. We both are contributors at Reviewing the Brew. Today, as we're recording this, the regular season is over. 162 games have come and gone, and thankfully for us, we have playoff baseball to look forward to. So we'll spend the second half of this podcast kind of previewing the NLDS. Uh, but before we get that, we'll recap kind of, you know, how the regular season went and hand out some awards. So before we get into all that, how are you doing tonight, Josh? I'm doing well. I mean, it's crazy that the regular season's over. Like, it seems like it was just, I mean, 162 games flew by, which is crazy because it seems like only a couple weeks ago we were, you know, scuffling through May and seemed like the team was kind of without a was just kind of floating around but no I mean it's seasons in the books obviously great season for the Brewers um last couple weeks been a little hairy but nothing too concerning it just kind of leaves a kind of a bad taste in the mouth at the end of the season but all in all 162 games came and went and excited for some postseason baseball yeah, the, the last day of the regular season, you know, I know we're a Brewers podcast, but it was set up for chaos, and unfortunately, just nothing panned out, which was really unfortunate. I wanted to see some tiebreaker games, I wanted to see some play-ins to the wild card, or play-ins to get the NLS, whatever it may be. I, I wanted to see something, and now we're going to get the freaking Red Sox and Yankees on, I think that's Tuesday night, and then Dodgers and Cardinals on Wednesday night for those wild card games. Uh Man, that it could have been a more exciting end to the year uh, outside of the Brewers' world, anyway. Yeah, I mean the Brewers had. Um, I mean, obviously the Brewers had it clinched in the division a week ago, playoff spot almost two weeks ago. So it kind of, I mean, felt like it was a weird position for us. I know we've mentioned it before, where you know normally the Brewers are, the Brewers would be one of the teams playing, hoping for a one sixty three, but. No, it was, it was nice to kind of kick back. I know today I had uh, the Brewer game on my TV, and then I had the ML, I had MLB TV with the four kind of key games on my laptop. It was I was primed for chaos, and it was fun just as a neutral observer, hoping that the Mariners would uh would cross would cross the threshold. <laughs> yeah, I think with like how much the Brewers and Mariners are involved with one another and trade with one another and you know they kind of gave us back Jacob Nottingham earlier in the year. <laughs> like we're all kind of like <laughs> come on, pull it out, you know, we're, we're kind of rooting for them. I think most of Brewer Nation was silently, um you know, and it's nice to see a, a fresh face in the playoffs, but you know, like you said, it, it it's a weird spot for us. I mean, the Top two records in the National League, the Giants and Dodgers, they finished with 107 wins, 106 wins, and they both were playing for something on the last game of the regular season. Brewers, Braves, Cardinals, they were already all locked in. <laughs> so it, that was just really bizarre. And it's kind of nice that we were able to just relax and, you know, keep everyone healthy and just get whatever work in that they wanted. It sounds like Craig Council is pretty involved with you know, with the players and asking what they wanted this last week. And, you know, he gave it to them because they know their bodies pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I know that there was kind of um, some general kind of concern about this season. I mean, the last couple of weeks, I mean, obviously Woodruff and Peralta just, you know, they kind of wrapped it up and got put on ice. And I know that there was kind of just a general kind of irritation with kind of what some people I think 
thought was kind of a lack of urgency on the Brewers, but I think that they were just effectively managing, you know, load management kind of, taking it based on what the players wanted, like you said. And I know Colton Wong today gave some quotes post-game that kind of said just kind of that, that, like, they're not, you know, slacking off. Like, this team, the clubhouse wants a World Series, and they were almost, it's kind of like they were treating this as kind of a little rest period, a little spring training. I mean, we saw Hader come in in the seventh inning and, and kind of pitch meaningless innings just to kind of keep his workload up. But it seems like the team's going to be well-rested and uh, ready to go on Friday. Yeah, fall ball or fall camp. I've heard those words being used as well to to kind of sum it up. And, you know, they were still playing to win. Thankfully, we were able to at least put one across on Bueller to help Corbin Burns secure the ERA title. So, you know, that was a win in my book, uh, you know, over this last weekend. And going forward now, the records are 0-0 zero and zero going ahead. So, you know, the last week of the regular season, nobody's going to talk about it, you know, come next weekend. So, you know, that we'll be previewing that, like I said, in a little bit. Um, we're going to kind of focus on kind of like some season awards here for the regular season, hand out some of the typical ones, and then maybe a fun one or two. Uh, so, you know, let's start with the MVP. You know, who are you going to give the MVP award to for this year, at least in terms of the regular season? I mean, I feel like there's kind of an obvious choice, and I'm hoping that you pick him because I'm not, so might be kind of weird if we don't uh, talk about kind of the elephant in the room, but I'm going with Avi Garcia. I mean, you know, con- well, what seems like all likelihood's a contract year for him, final year free agency, really, I think emerged as a leader, kind of a, bo- a nice bounce back season, ended up leading the league 29 home runs, uh, 114 WRC plus, not his career high, but second best of his career, total of 2.9 F war, kind of just really did a good job of I think realizing his potential that he had and really kind of taking the opportunity. I know that he was a guy who was a little irked, I think, with the signing of JBJ, but I think he did a good job of, you know, proving that he deserves to be in the lineup every day and really was a con- was a key contributor for the team. Yeah, for a guy who, you know, he played center field last year and then he I think he had like some an ankle injury, maybe some back stuff going on last year. He was able to stay healthy. You know, when everyone else wasn't going, you know, this year. So that certainly helped with his playing time, helped him find a groove earlier in the year and set career highs in just about, you know, all the major categories there. I'm guessing you wanted me to pick Willie Adamas. You know, that's kind of the, the other obvious choice from an offensive standpoint. I was, I was standpoint. hoping that's, that's hoping that's where you were going from. We didn't coordinate picks at all, so I'm kind of going in blind on this. Yeah, I mean, no matter what you look from statistical moments or the eye test, like I think Willie Damas is obviously a great choice. You know, WRC plus 135 with the Brewers. He finishes at 25 total home runs between both clubs. And you can just point to so many clutch hits. I think he had a stretch of like a week where he had you know, a couple game tying or go at home runs against the Rockies. He had that epic bat flip uh, after a clutch home run against the Cubs, his first, you know, kind of glance at a Brewers-Cubs season. And so many times he came through late in games. And, you know, there was a, for a while there, I was, like, trying to, like, persuade people, like, if he keeps playing at this pace, he could end up in the MVP discussion. Obviously, he ends up getting hurt with the quad and, you know, doesn't get as much playing time. And he cooled down a little bit, but still really good productive player and yeah i think from an offensive standpoint definitely uh deserving of the mvp 
Yeah, I mean, you know, and there's not really much left to say about him. I mean, he's he's a team first guy. I mean, even when he was on the IL, he was seeming like always the first guy out greeting players after they hit homers or, you know, jumping up on the railing or just, you know, there'd be clubhouse shot, like shots of the dugout. And he was right there engaged in the game, talking with guys or cheering them on. Like he was, he's definitely kind of a team player. He's really just the epitome of kind of what every ball, all every ball team needs. And the guy that's just a ball of energy. Yep, comes in and starts the claws up. The official record with Willie Adamas is 74-44 and 44 after the acquisition. So that, that alone speaks for itself as well. And, yeah, he he's great. I mean, we, we got him under club control, what, for three more years? He'll, be, he'll obviously get a yeah. big raise with arbitration. But, man, what a what a find by David Stern's, you know, not, I wouldn't even call it midseason. It was well before midseason. Yeah, I mean, kind of the right at the quarter mark. I mean— you know, he says he. They can say that they. I mean, I believe him that they've had their eye on him for a while. But you can, you know, he can say that they've been trying to make trades all he wants. But it kind of did seem like a, almost like a panic trade at the time. I mean, with Arias' struggles, but it definitely worked out in such a way. I mean, he kind of gave the team like the fun that I think the team was lacking in kind of the first part of the season. Yeah, I agree. I agree that I couldn't have said it any better myself. And I think it's funny because you kind of went with Abisil Garcia, you know, obviously deserving of an MVP award from us. And you kind of went with it thinking I was going to go with Adamas. And to be truthful, I thought you were going to pick Adamas. So I was going to try and argue that maybe we should give the MVP award to a pitcher, which does have, oh, okay. you know, obviously some carryover to uh, the, our Cy Young Award. You know, I think it's I think we're both going to say that uh, Corbin Burns should be the Cy Young. But mm-hmm. why why not MVP? Are you uh, an anti-pitcher for MVP award type of guy? Um, No, I mean, I'm kind of a, the best player should get it. Um, I was kind of, you know, putting me on the spot right now because I kind <laughs> of was hoping also that, you know, but yeah, I think Burns is definitely deserving of that. I think he'll probably end up kind of, I mean, kind of looking at the abstract to the national, like the actual voting. I think he probably will end up getting some votes in the kind of in the actual results. I'm not sure where that'll be. Probably depends a lot on how the voters decide. But no, I mean, he definitely is a guy that should be up there as kind of a workhorse i mean obviously he missed a couple starts with covid but he was a guy who came out i mean pitched over qualified for the era title and kind of just dominant every time i mean one of the lowest fips on record 163 ended with ended with the first era crown in uh in brewer history i mean he was just uh he was a workhorse and 59 strikeouts to start the year before his first walk and really never looked back from that. Yeah, and I was looking at, you know, I was going to try and use maybe like war as part of my argument uh, for, mm-hmm. for you know, why he should be MVP. 7.6 is his total war on fan graphs here throughout the year. Um, obviously the highest on the Brewers, Brandon Woodruff was, I think, just under five. Even across the MLB, 
in terms of total war. Shohei Otani's at eight. That's the best I'm finding on here. Zach Wheeler, 7.3. Trey Turner, 6.7. Um, so Corbin Burns up there, number two in the league. And even though he's a guy that, you know, obviously takes the ball in the Brewers case like every sixth day, <laughs> he has <laughs> a ton of value to him. And I, I think there's a good point or strong argument, you know, that he could be the MVP just you know, given how dominant he was every time he went out there. Yeah, I mean, they're outside of a couple of, he only had maybe up top of my head, I'm thinking of two or three starts where, you know, he, the Brewers did, like, the he, where Council took the ball from him and the Brewers weren't in a clear position where they could win the game. I mean, he really stepped up big. I mean, could you imagine telling someone after the 2019 season that Corbin Burns would, lead the league in F war, win the ERA title, and give up, I believe, fewer home runs across hundred and sixty so or so innings than he did in the fifty innings he pitched in twenty nineteen. <laughs> oh, Jeez. That's insane. No, I would not believe it. My goodness. <laughs> Jeez. Oh man. So are you able to try in, if you're going to try and pick like a, a runner-up to our Cy Young Award here, who are you going to give it to? Because I think obviously Burns kind of runs it away, runs yeah. away with it. But who, who takes that second spot in your mind? I mean, kind of a, I don't know if it's controversial. Um, you know, it hasn't happened for a while when like the actual like voting results, but I'm going to go Hater. I think. I mean, obviously it's pretty easy to pick Woodruff or Peralta. Both of those guys are deserving of the recognition. Both of them took massive steps forward. But I think Hader is, I think he put together kind of a, probably the best year of his career and really kind of flew under the radar. I mean, obviously, was an all-star, is probably going to be named the first, first team MLB if they do that again this season. But looking at a guy, I mean, you're looking at a guy who can come in and give you you know, you need three outs, he gives you three outs, and most of the time it's going to be three strikeouts. And, I mean, I think one of the reasons I'm going with him is you look at a WPA, so win probability added. He led all the pitchers in baseball, and that's coming from a guy who pitched in about a third of the innings as Max Scherzer, who was finished second in WPA added. Yeah, I, I agree. Hader went definitely much under the radar. Uh you know, maybe it has to do with the usage, I guess, a little bit. Didn't mm-hmm. necessarily tally the huge innings totals like he did, too. Um, you know, I think, did he get 100 strikeouts on the year today? Yeah. I knew he was right around there. I believe it was at 102. 102, yeah. So, I mean, he's still striking batters out at a good clip anyway when you when you plug it into the, the K per nine ratio machine there. And, you know, I was... You know, I was thinking outside the box like you too. Apparently we're on the same page tonight. So I'm like, oh, he's going to go with Woodruff or Peralta. So I'm like, okay, should I try and make a case for Devin Williams? Or is it like too soon to talk about him? <laughs> no, I but, think uh, good. I mean, he had a great season. I don't think that one, you know, one thing should really derail it, especially an off the field thing. Cause his regular season was down. And I mean, I think he, God, he was on a stretch. I mean, I, where I think he only gave up one run, like one or two runs, like in his, there were only one or two outings where he gave up runs since June. Yeah, I know, like right around that all-star break time, June, July, what you're talking about there, I think he was in double digits for appearances, you know, without allowing a run. 
Um, and then I think he had the shoulder inflammation right after the all-star breaks. Then he got like kind of pushed back a little bit, but I think in the second half, you know, you saw like in the first half, he was throwing a ton of pitches. Like how many times did you see him throw 20 to 30 pitches an inning? Looked like he was trying too hard. And I think he really dialed that change up in, in the second half. It ends up with a 64% usage rate on the year. Batters hit 161 against it, whiffing 47% of the time. Like, they know Devin Williams is known for the changeup. He's not called the airbender for not for no reason, uh, but nobody can still hit it. So in year two, I think that was impressive because, you know, even though we had a you know limited sample size of who we could play last year, uh, you know, people still had lots of tape on him and definitely uh, knew what was coming this year as opposed to last year. Yeah, I mean, he also did expand his um, kind of repertoire, so it wasn't just throwing the changeup, but that thing was unhittable. I know you said 47% whiff rate. I mean, there were multiple times throughout the year where like he would throw it, and they'd cut to the bat, close up to the batter, and he, the batter was looking like he was just contemplating his existence. Like <laughs> it um, probably is going to go down as. Or I'm not sure, you know, not sure what kind of end of the year wrap ups we'll see coming out, but I feel like that's got to be up there for pitch of the year. Oh yeah, I I would agree. It, it should be. <laughs> it definitely should be with so <laughs> many people trying to replicate it and and all that. So yeah, I, I think that's a, a sneaky case. I mean, really, you got five guys who are really deserving who pitched, you know, a lot of innings for the Brewers and did a lot of success um, uh, on the mound anyway and. Then there were a few, you know, sneaky players. Like if you want to hand out a most improved category, I think you have to throw Eric Lauer in there. Yeah. Just dreadful last year. Heck, even his first couple starts this year weren't necessarily sharpest. And then I think it was a start against the Rockies in June, I believe, or maybe it was even July. And he was just dialed in after that. Uh, you know, changed his delivery a little bit. His cutter just misses barrels all the time. And he became a steady guy out of the bullpen. We even saw Craig Council extend the leash on him a couple times. So he he definitely earned the trust and <laughs> certainly makes the trade uh, with the Padres look a little bit better. Yeah, it definitely does. And actually, I mean, my pick for most improved player was going to be Luis Arias. I mean, I'm, you know, probably a little bit like just very um, big on him as a player, but he really, I think, took another step forward too. I mean, to go with Lauer and, Obviously, you know, it's tough to evaluate. You know, I think the two-year trade outlook is going to look a hell of a lot different than the one-year outlook did. Yeah, I couldn't have said that any any better. <laughs> and I'm not surprised that you picked Luis Sirius either. So. Yeah, I was thinking about trying to shake it up. I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to lean into it. Like, <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go basic on that one. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, let's move on to the next one, then. Let's go with Silver Slugger. So for this one, I went with who you picked for MVP and went with Avisil Garcia, uh, you know, just given that he led the Brewers in home runs, led the Brewers in RBIs, um, you know, at least in terms of, you know, total with the with the ball club. One home run short of 30 on the year. Um, you mentioned his WRC plus. I was looking at his BIP earlier, 291 on the year. That's that's pretty solid. You know, usually I think Garcia did a good job of putting balls in play a lot better this year, especially on the slider. That seemed to be like his nemesis earlier in the year. And 
you know, now average exit velocity this year at 90 miles per hour, that, that's a lot better than what it had been throughout most of his career, 87 last year, 89 the year before that. So um, I liked what I saw out of Garcia. Yeah, I mean, that's a good pick. I mean, I'm actually going to flip it, and I'm going to go with Adamas for Silver Slugger. I mean, so we're just kind of flipping the guys. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Garcia is a great pick, obviously. Um, there was a stretch, especially at the beginning of the year, where he was kind of among the top. Like there were about five or so players who were averaging ninety percent, like in the ninetieth percentile for hard hit percentage and for sprint speed. Um, off the top of my head, I believe it was Trout, Soto, and Garcia were guys up there. I mean, so obviously a good pick. I'm going with Adamas. I mean, just his WRC plus his ability i mean it's amazing what happens when he, a guy can see the ball coming in but he just took a massive step and lots of good progress i mean progress that seems sustainable too it's not like it doesn't seem like it will be a flash in the pan like kind of fundamentally changing as a hitter and developing more pop along the way with that yeah <laughs> that's beautifully said and I, I like the sustainability part of that because you know it's not like he had a unreal year like you said where it's unsustainable i think all this is something that he's gonna build upon and you know i fully expect him to be near a you know at least 20 25 home run player next year again as well which is what he was this year um how about we switch sides of the ball here let's go to defense so we're going to give out a gold glove, just one player out of the whole team. Obviously, you're not going to go position by position. That's kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah. <laughs> who is the, I guess, who is the best defender is, you know, kind of what we're going for with this one. I got to go Lorenzo Kane. I think. I mean, you know, he led the team in outs above average, which is kind of the newest um, attempt to kind of quantify defense. Uh, he led the team with six. Outs above average. I mean, he just uh, makes insane reads in the outfield. I mean, even at, uh, you know, 35, he's, you know, kind of unlike the dugout stuff. In the dugout stuff, he seems kind of like, you know, the old man, but he comes spry when it's kind of comes down to catching balls or hunting them down. I mean, no one makes reads like him. No one puts themselves in positions to make great defensive plays like him. So I think he's my pick on that. That I was going to pick Lorenzo Kane too. I was like, man, Lorenzo Kane just came up so clutch so many times, like you mentioned with all those, those big catches. And obviously when you hear a gold glove, you think of Colton Wong. I mean, I think mm-hmm. he had just so many tremendous plays in the infield too, as well. Like we definitely were not used to seeing that quality of a, of a glove out there, you know, coming from Keston Hira the last couple of years. So that was nice and nice and refreshing. And, uh, but I, I think, you know, for me, I, if I'm just going to pick someone opposite of you, I was going to pick another outfielder and I was going to go, well, maybe should I go JBJ? Cause heck, he was a, a great defender out there as well too. And how many times do we say there's probably only a handful of outfielders in the league who can catch that. And the Brewers have two of those players on them <laughs> and JBJ happens to be that second one. Um, so I think that's probably who I would lean towards. Um, we've mentioned obviously Garcia on the offensive side already, but he finishes a nine DRS on the year. Obviously most people remember that drop ball against the 
freaking San Francisco Giants, but he was really good uh, defensively this year, I think, as well, too, and strong throwing arm out there. So I think he deserves some credit. Definitely not on the level of JBJ and Kane, but uh, I would definitely like to give him a shout-out. Yeah, I agree with that, and I do like the JBJ pick. I mean, you know, he's a guy who spent the majority of time in Boston playing center field, and then he, you know, split time between center and right in Milwaukee, and, you know, I know people say that Milwaukee's outfield is just different. I mean, it's a bigger track. It's a little more, it's kind of a five-step warning track instead of the kind of more traditional three. So it's a little, um, takes a little tougher to orient yourself. But yeah, I mean, he did a great job. He actually finished second to Kane with five outs above average in, you know, a little less playing time. So he definitely, you know, his bat struggled this season, but his defense was, as on point as it ever was. Yep, and there will be lots of talk about JBJ this offseason, I'm sure, given his contract situation, how he's likely going to remain a brewer unless Stearns gets pretty creative. So we'll obviously get to that in the offseason. And we got one more award left. So this one's going to be kind of a little bit of a uniquer one. We're going to go the most random brewer that you can think of, seeing how we set a franchise record and used 61 players (laughs) this year. So I got two players queued up, so I'm going to let you go first. That way uh, I know I at least have one in case you take mine. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot to choose from. I know I was looking at a friend of the show, David Gasper's um, Article 5 Random Brewers, and, like, man, Zach Godley, Phil Bickford, um, lots of good choices. Alec Bettinger was a guy I considered. But I think I'm going to have to go with the – one-hit wonder, Sal Romano, is my pick. He's a guy, first of all, named after a character from Mad Men, so that's a, you know, that's a, <laughs> got to count for something. But he came up, I mean, he was with the team for less than a week, um, came in, got slapped in his outing with the Brewers, and then it was kind of a right back down. I mean, that was kind of... In the, amidst the COVID outbreak where the Brewers were just desperate for arms. Oh, I, I lied, actually. He was claimed by the Brewers on August 4th, um, brought up on the – or claimed on the 3rd, brought up the 4th, DFA'd on the 10th. I mean, it was a less than a week, but, you know, I think that's a strong category strong contender for most random brewer (laughs) it is i like how you mentioned godly i think you know zimmerman he was another one from earlier in the year um players who are still with us like feliciano uh, i think he scored the game-winning run in his first game i think that might have been it that's when both pina and narvaez were on the il he got yeah he was called up yeah because it was like a weird overlap day because he was called up um I believe it was the March 1st game. It was like the 11th inning game against the Dodgers that Shaw hit the game winner and I think the 11th. But yeah, he like came up that one day. Um, didn't appear, but like was a pinch runner in like the 11th inning. Um, got the run and I'm pretty sure like it, the timing on the IL worked out. So like one of the catchers got activated and he got sent down the next day. Yep, <laughs> that was that was certainly weird. It was kind of that was kind of like the same thing with Corey Ray. They brought him up in Chicago, like his hometown, and and that was all we saw of him this year. <laughs> Just yeah. like one little series. <laughs> oh, and then I mean, you got to go. Patrick Weigel also a strong contender. I mean, both 
Oh, shoot. Who's the other guy from the Arcia trade? <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, everyone remembers Weigel. Um, oh, that's going to bug me now. I'm not going to remember who it is. <laughs> um, hmm. It'll come to me. But yeah. uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned a friend of the podcast, David's article, and, you know, Sal Romano obviously made it on there. And one above there, who my most random one, was uh, Ryan Weber, <laughs> another one-hit wonder for the Brewers <laughs> this year. Yeah. Game, appeared in a game in June 27th against the Rockies, threw eight pitches, got all three outs, allowed a hit, then he got a double play, and <laughs> Brewers ended up winning 5 nothing, and then, boop, just kicked him out of there. <laughs> and that was yeah. it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, lots of lots of good, lots of strong contenders. I mean, going back to Godly, I mean that uh, interference call or obstruction, man. Lots of good, uh, I guess one shot, like or you know, kind of uh, cameos this year from the Brewers. <laughs> and hopefully, you know, hopefully they do get rings when uh, all, it's all said and done. Oh God, yeah, I'd be claiming my my ring as well too. Uh, it was Chad Sabaka who was the other pitcher in the okay. trade, in which hell you could even say that Orlando Arcia was a random brewer we all forgot about this year too. He had yeah. the the game winner infield chopper on opening day for that comeback against the Twins, and shortly after that he was gone. Yeah, lots of, I mean, really you could have picked pretty much anyone not on the forty man and or not on the current active roster and made a case. I mean, I guess, unfortunately, Topa would be a guy you might consider on that. Um, but yeah, lots of guys who came up um, when the Brewers needed kind of a you know, spot start, spot outing, just a body to fill, you know, just a jerk. Like they needed a guy to in the locker room and lots of guys stood up. John Axford. Yep. Ooh. Colin Ray from this weekend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of lots of potential guys who uh could have who could have fit that bill. Yep. And, you know, some of them stuck out, like Jace Peterson obviously worked out. Uh, you know, he's gonna make the postseason roster, so <laughs> good for him. And you know, think you know, what if Rowdy Telez didn't work out? You know, there's all sorts of weird scenarios. But that's enough random brewer talk for today, and we're gonna switch over to our NLDS preview with Jake Mastriani. All right, and welcome to the podcast, Jake Mastriani, host of Lockdown Brewers and also the site expert uh, at the Atlanta Braves site for Fan Sighted. So what better person can we ask to talk about the upcoming NLDS matchup between the Brewers and the Braves? Thanks for joining the show, Jake. We're excited to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much, Tyler and Josh. Thanks for uh, thanks for asking me to be on. And yeah, it should be an interesting series. I know a good bit about both teams, so I think it'll be a fun series. I think you're right. I'd be disappointed if it wasn't. And, you know, the paths for the Braves to get to the NLDS this year, I think, was really interesting. They had to come a lot of adversity. Obviously, injuries like Soraka, Acuna, they lost um, Azunia as well early in the year, but then... They made just a ton of moves at the deadline, and everything seemed to be panning out. And next thing you know, they're winning the NL East for the fourth year in a row, um, perhaps probably the most toughest uh, one they've had to, to do. So can you kind of like fill in the gaps, I guess, a little bit from the trade deadline and on and how, you know, what, their, what led their surge in the second half of the year? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with the first half of the year. It really is just, you know, it's a combination of a, a lot of things. Just a team playing 
inconsistent baseball, not really ever figuring it out, always on the cusp. I think they got to 500, like, I want to say five or six times and never could get over. Uh, I think they don't ever, they didn't never got over 500 until August. Um, so they were always just right there. They just couldn't ever push through. And then, yeah, you had the Ozuna situation and, you know, the off the field stuff that's kept him out. You know, Acuna injured midway through out for the season. That's huge. I mean, he, he honestly probably could have won the MVP if he stayed healthy all year with the number numbers that he has. And then, yeah, losing Soroka, maybe your best starter, for one, uh, first or second best starter. So, yeah, just nothing really went right. And then they went out at the deadline when a lot of people thought they should have sold uh, because the Mets were kind of, you know, starting to pull away in that division a little bit. Uh, but they didn't. They went and got some bats in the outfield. Out, they're really struggling in the outfield. Christian Pache, a, a young prospect, started the year in center, didn't pan out there. Then, like I said, Acuna got injured. Ozuna's off the field stuff. So they lost basically their entire outfield had to be replaced. And, uh, you know, credit to Alex Antopoulos, the GM there, went out, made some savvy moves, didn't have to give up a lot, and got, you know, Jack Peterson, Adam Duvall, Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario, you know, good veteran bats with power. And it really just, I mean, it helped that lineup out a lot. I mean, they were starting guys like Guillermo Heredia and Abraham Almonte in the outfield and trying to get by with that. So uh, just major upgrades there. Their division helped out a lot as well. Uh, the Mets just, you know, completely collapsed. And they lost Jacob DeGrom, too, who, you know, probably could have also won MVP and uh, won the Cy Young, you know, had he stayed healthy. Um, so, I mean, their division, you know, not being great, obviously helped them stay around. And then once they did get hot in the second half, you know, allowed them to, to win the division. And then I know, I mean, one of the guys that I'm really, I guess, nervous about is Austin Riley. I mean, it seems like every day that guy's hitting just moonshots. I mean, is he a guy that I, I guess like I've heard of him before, but is he a guy that was kind of a highly touted prospect and just kind of now putting it together. Is he kind of just been an overall welcome surprise for the Braves this season? He was a really good prospect. Um, you know, maybe not a top five. I don't think he was ever a top 100 type guy, but he was a really good prospect. There was a lot of people asking for him. I know when the Braves were going after JT Real Muto from the Marlins, I know uh, Riley was somebody they really wanted in that package. I think they were also asking for Ozzy Alves. Um, but it is just, he, he was a good prospect. He came up was, you know, hot as could be when they first called him up a couple of years ago. And then, um, you know, pitchers caught up with him and mainly he could not lay off the slider, uh, and was just striking out a ton. He still strikes out a ton, but he made some really good adjustments this year and was really their consistent, most consistent performer all year long. You know, a lot of Braves fans think, he should be in the MVP consideration, um, which he won't be, but he'll probably finish top five. He was that important to this lineup. I don't know, or, or I know they wouldn't be where they were if not for him. So he definitely made some adjustments with his swing this year, started to figure some things out, and he is really strong. I think last year for him, he just wasn't getting enough lift on the baseball. He was able to make that adjustment this year, and he's starting to drive the ball a lot. I mean, I saw a pitch the other day, you know, just down and away, Joe was able to just – um, you know, had enough strength to power it out to left field. So, yeah, really strong hitter, really key hitter in their lineup now, especially, you know, after uh, losing Acuna and Azuna in the middle of their lineup. They're one and four hitters in the lineup. Austin Riley's been huge for them stepping up in that cleanup spot. 
and being a real big bat for them in the middle of the order. Yeah, I mean, you look at this whole Braves offense, like Freddie Freeman, Elbies we talked about already, Dansby Swanson, and then getting Adam Duvall back You know, after he played with, with the Marlins for the beginning part of the year. This is a really deep lineup, and the Brewers obviously have one of the best pitching staffs across baseball. Is there a weakness in this lineup? Like, is there anyone that they should look to attack or exploit at all? Or, or what do you think the strategy is for the Brewers pitchers is going in against this lineup? Yeah, the lineup is deep, but they're also very dependent on the home run ball. They're not a team that's going to, uh, you know, string a bunch of hits together, which is kind of what you have to do against the Brewers pitching staff. Um, and, you know, Burns and Given up, you know, no, you know, virtually no home runs all year long, and that's really what the Braves depend on. I mean, they're they're hoping to get that two or three run homer to really get a, ra- a rally going. So, I mean, they may not score for four or five innings, and the next thing you know, they put up a three spot, you know, because they get that home run that they're looking for. Uh, and that's really what this offense is dependent on. There's going to be a lot of strikeouts, and they're okay with that. They're just hoping that they run into two or three home runs throughout the game. So. If Brewers pitching can limit that and they do a good job at that, then I think they'll be just fine. But one through eight in this lineup can take you deep. I think everybody in their infield had at least 27 home runs. I think Dansby Swanson was the only one that didn't have 30. So, I mean, anybody in this lineup can can go yard on. You know what Solaire can do, what Adam Duvall can do. Duvall led the league in, in RBI. So it's a very powerful lineup. But if you can limit the home runs and make sure the home runs are solo shots, then I think you'll be just fine. And then I guess, I mean, you know, obviously their offense is just crazy deep. I mean, then, I mean, you have Jock Peterson kind of riding the bench, but kind of pivoting over to the pitching. I mean, outside of Morton, who just ageless wonder, I mean, what kind of can the Brewers expect from the rotation? I mean, I know Soroka's out, but Max Fried is putting together, put together a good year. Um, Ian Anderson, young guy who has lots of potential, I guess, kind of, is that, I guess, kind of what should the Brewers be looking for in, when, in this, like, when facing the rota- guys in the rotation? Yeah, um, like I said, Charlie Morton, a veteran of the group, it's what the Braves went out and got him for, is for these types of starts. Uh, I think Snicker already said he's going to start game one. Um, so, you know, you're looking for a veteran present presence guy that's been there done that i think he'll probably give you a good solid six or seven innings um and then max freed i mean he has quietly put together a really great second half he struggled early on in the year and then had an injury uh that cost him a little bit of time but since coming back i think i saw something where he and scherzer had the best two eras in the second half of the season uh, so i mean max freed has been you know ace level type of pitcher the second half of the year so he is very good as well and then Ian Anderson uh you know he came out last year as a rookie and it was just unbelievable for them going into the postseason uh and you know he's he's a really solid third starter as well so I mean they have three really good starters um as do the Brewers I wouldn't necessarily put any of them on the same level of Woodruff or Burns or maybe even Peralta but definitely capable of going toe-to-toe with those three on any given day it's it's once you get outside of those three where it becomes really sketchy for the Braves they their bullpen is un, untrustworthy I guess is the best way to say it so the quicker you could get 
those three starters out of the game, the better it's going to be for the Brewers because the Braves bullpen is a disaster, just quite honestly. Um, and, you know, really the starters, if, if they have to use a four starter in this series, probably would be Waskari Noah, who uh, shares <laughs> shares the frustration with Devin Williams because, you know, <laughs> also, also punched a wall earlier this year and broke his hand. So I think he did uh, that after a game. Of- yeah, it was a Brewers game. Yeah. I think that's what it was, but yeah, so that's kind of crazy. You have two players on each team that have punched a wall this year and lost some time, but we will we will not talk about that Devin Williams situation <laughs> uh, anymore. But um, but yeah, it really gets gets really thin after those three pitchers after Morton, Freed, and, and Anderson. Uh, I mean, they got a couple of guys in the back end and Tyler Matzik and Luke Jackson, probably their best two relievers right now. Um, but Will Smith is still still going to be their closer, and don't mention that to Braves fans because they're so <laughs> tired of seeing him in the ninth inning. But, yeah, the pitching is really where I think the Brewers can have a major edge because if you get those starters out of the game, I think you're looking really good. Yeah, I think for me, like, the Brewers' offense is a huge X factor in this game because I was kind of evaluating the the Braves' bullpen and kind of coming to the same conclusions. Like, man, if we can get past those starters, we're going to be in good shape. Um, but, you know, let's say we do get past those starters who are obviously they're a mess. You mentioned, are there a couple names that stand out more so than others to who we might see pitch and what might we expect from them? Yeah, I think it, I think the Braves are going to rely on three guys. Like I said, Matzik, Jackson and Will Smith are going to be the three guys that they trust the most coming out of the bullpen. So those are going to be the three you see. Luke Jackson has one of the better sliders in baseball, but he gets really erratic at, at times. Tyler Matzik has been, he's, he's probably their best relief pitcher, um, but he's never really done the closer role thing. And uh, I don't know how he would handle that if thrust into that opportunity. And I don't think uh, Brian Snicker, the Braves manager would do that in the postseason. but he's probably, He's probably going to be their their high leverage reliever coming into a big spot. I think Matzik is probably who you'll see. Uh, and then Will Smith, just a veteran guy. He also has a really good um, slider, but not dominant for a closer. Um, like I said, Matzik's probably the only one who is really dominant strikeout type pitcher, can throw uh, really hard, has good stuff. A.J. Minter's kind of the same. Uh, from the left side. Uh, that's the thing about this bullpen to mention is three of their four best relievers, uh, Mentor, Matzik, Luke Jackson, and Will Smith, three of them are left-handed. Um, so I think that's going to be very key for the Brewers who can have guys like Tyrone Taylor, maybe Luis Urias coming off the bench from the right side. Uh, I talked about this on, on Lockdown Brewers or Benny the other day. I think that's going to be a key in this series is having those right-handed bats coming off the bench to face some of those left-handed relievers from the Braves late in games. I think it's going to be a very key in this series. And I guess kind of, um, I mean, I know you said that once you get to the bullpen, it's uh, very sketchy. I mean, how is Snitker with, like, the starters' leashes? Like, is it kind of a situation where, so let's say, the Brewers are able to drag out at-bats and Morton's looking at 85 pitches after four or five innings is – he going to go to the like is he does he kind of manage with a quick hook or does he kind of let the pitcher go as long as they can um with Morton and Freed he will let them go as long as he can mostly because he knows how bad the bullpen is but if they are rolling along he will let them throw you know 
anywhere from 100 to 120 pitches, especially, I've, you know, we've seen that late in the year as the Braves were trying to clinch here. Uh, he let both pitchers go pretty deep into the ball game, uh, trying to let them go at least seven innings and then getting to Matzik and Will Smith for those final two innings or Luke Jackson, like I said. So he will not have a quick leash on those two pitchers in particular. Ian Anderson would probably be a little bit of a, a quicker hook. Uh, but for those top two guys, I mean, he knows – he knows the bullpen's not good, so he's going to let them ride as much as he can. I guess from a base path standpoint, I think we've seen teams kind of run on the Brewers at, from time to time this year. How are the Braves on the base path? Are there anyone who's going to steal, or are they more so just once you're on base, we're going to hope for a home run and you know not run into silly outs? Yeah, like I said earlier, they're they're waiting on that that two or three run homer, so they're not going to take a ton of risk, especially. You know, Cunha was the one guy that would do that. Ozzy will steal a bag every now and then. You got to watch out for Freddie Freeman. He's he's sneaky as well. I think he has like nine stolen bases on the year. But um, he, you know, there's really not a ton of of guys in this lineup that are going to try to risk it with a stolen base. Ozzy's probably the, the the most likely one to do it. But Soler's not going to steal you a bag. Duvall's not going to steal you a bag. Travis Darno's not going to steal you a bag. Riley's not going to steal. Um, so it really is just maybe one or two guys, maybe Dansby, you know, in a big spot might. But, yeah, I don't see them running too much in the series. They're going to they're gonna have to wait to get, you know, that big home run. I don't think they're going to run into too many outs, knowing how precious they are against the Brewers pitching staff. All right, yeah, and then I guess as unbiased as you can, what's your uh, prediction for the series? Who do you got? I, I think it's Brewers in four. Um I think it's mainly because of that that pitching depth that the Brewers have. You know, obviously I said I wasn't going to mention it again. Losing Williams, Devin Williams, does really hurt because, um, you know, just let's say Burns or Woodruff isn't able to go six innings. That really leaves it kind of sketchy in the middle of the game there. I don't know how Cousins or Strickland is going to handle that role. I know Strickland's been in those spots before with the Giants, but – uh, I'm really cons- a little concerned about those middle innings there, getting to Boxberger. Uh, I was just on a another podcast, and I was talking about the fact that I think you could see Hayter pitch multiple innings. I know Council hasn't done it all year, but with Devin Williams out, I think you may see Council go to him a little earlier in games now just because trying to bridge that gap, you know, you could see Boxberger pitch seven and a third, or, or sorry, the seventh and then a third or the eighth or something, and then get it to to hater um so that concerns me a little bit but i do just think the overall pitching you know because they can move eric lauer out there you know ashby could potentially uh be a key piece out there so i just think the pitching depth makes the difference here and the brewers lineup is very deep um the braves one is too i don't know now that i'm talking about it i go back and forth i think it is going to be a very good series i think both of these teams (laughs) match up very evenly i just think the pitching I think the Brewers pitching will do a better job of limiting the home run ball, um, especially Burns out there. Uh, you know, I think he'll he'll be able to, to to limit the damage there. Again, like I said, the Braves are so reliant on that home run. Um, if the Brewers can can manage that, I think they'll be just fine. But I think the pitching overall pitching depth will be the difference for the Brewers and them winning in four games. Yeah, I think that's a good way to sum it up. You got the Brewers' great pitching staff going against this high-powered offense and, and the home runs, like you mentioned. So, you know, those are going to be the two biggest things to watch, really, that, you know, at least before the series starts and what's going to be on all of our minds. So 
Thanks for joining us here, Jake. I appreciate you and your in, in your insight coming on the podcast here. Uh, it works out well that you got you got ties to both the Brewers and the Braves. So before we get out of here, can you just uh, give yourself a shout out to where everyone can find you and all the work that you do? Yeah, so you can uh, obviously take a listen over at Locked on Brewers. We do a daily podcast five days a week. And then I do also write about the Braves at TomahawkTake.com, the Braves fan site at Bandsided. Uh, And so uh, you can follow me on Twitter at ShortstopBall. I cover baseball at a variety of different areas. I also cover uh, AA South for Prospects 1500. I cover college baseball uh, i cover the birmingham barons for chicago white Sox website so uh, I, I do a lot of uh, i cover a lot of baseball uh, like i was talking with you guys beforehand i consider myself uh, just to be a baseball fan try to be as unbiased as possible um, so make sure that you follow me all those places if you can and follow me on uh, twitter again at shortstopball and you can see all my work there thanks jake awesome yeah, thank have a good one too